Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. Today we continue to piece together the timeline of last day's events as described in the three gospel accounts of Jesus' great Olivet Discourse. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each provide key details needed to help us better interpret and understand the book of Revelation. Download the PDF slide deck for today's study at our website, truthmatterschurch.org. Here is Pastor Alex. So last week we briefly summarized our The Days Will Come series. In addition to reviewing our key learnings and takeaways, we found ourselves reharmonizing the Great Olivet Discourse given by our Lord to his disciples. And the reason why we went on this reharmonization was because originally I only focused on Luke and Matthew's account and trying to harmonize that, and I didn't consider Mark. And when I considered Mark and I went through the diligence again and comparing the different accounts, I found that our original chart was short-sighted. And that's why we're doing this exercise again, but this time we will take into account all three accounts of the Olivet Discourse. <clears throat> and I do want to say it is important that we do this exercise, albeit how tedious it is, because just as Daniel frames our understanding of Revelation, even so does our Lord's great discourse frame our understanding of Revelation. Having gone through the legwork, the diligence, the countless hours of study and, being, and pouring into the Word, it's becoming more and more apparent in my mind that we can't understand Revelation to its fullest without Daniel and the Lord's Olivet Discourse framing even that book. So here was our approach when we, tried it, when we started to reharmonize the great Olivet Discourse. I'm showing you how I'm arriving to the conclusion. You know, I'm trying to make it a habit. Instead of me telling you what my thoughts are and potentially what my opinion is, I want to show you through the Scripture how we arrived to a certain truth. So this is our blueprint when we're going through the reharmonization. What I did was we're going to line up all three accounts side by side. Once we've agreed that these are the groupings, because some accounts speak of the same event uh, in all three, some in just two, some in just one. But you will see how we are arriving on our categorization of them. Then once we group them, we're going to give it a short title because it's good to have a quick index or a reference point on these groupings and then give it a short description so we know what it is and also incorporate the different stages of labor. But I have sign uploaded here because I thought the more appropriate word instead of calling it a sign is to call it an epic. Uh, when our Lord, right before he ascended into heaven, and his disciples asked him the question, will you at this time establish the kingdom to Israel? And our Lord's response to them was, it is not for you to know the times and the epics determined by my Father, but go and make disciples. And I felt that that's precisely what these are. These are epics. And as we go through it, you will see what that means. An epic is a season and it's a period of time. Hence, I will, I will try to 
change their terminology from calling it a sign to an epic. And maybe that'll help us understand his word better. And then as far as the labor chart, because our Lord, when he was describing these epics leading to his return, he likened it to a woman giving birth. And that was very intentional because it's common knowledge for all of us now how a typical pregnancy from conception to full delivery and what that entails, especially for the mothers here. We know it's at about a nine-month period, and we know that once that nine-month period hits, you're due. And when you're due, water breaks, generally speaking, and then the contractions begin. So we understand labor to some extent. And when he was communicating the sign leading up to his return, he likened it to a woman giving birth. And we will see that that was by design. Because understanding the stages of labor will help us understand the stages leading up to his return. So I will incorporate this and continue to incorporate this in addition to our harmonization to see where we are in the labor process. And where we left off last time, we were able to get through nine epics. So we are towards the end. And since we have the luxury of time, I thought it would be good for us to, before we summarize what those epics were and then pick up from there, I want us to get reacquainted and read Luke's account. Remember, I'm relying on Luke's account for the sequential order of things. What we're going to find as we go through this exercise, and I created this index at the very end, a kind of cheat sheet for you to show you how we arrived to where we arrived. This thing was a jigsaw puzzle. And if we're going to try to make any sense of this puzzle, I'm relying on Luke to give us that, sequ that sequence of things. Because that's how I'm framing this whole thing, is I'm looking at all three, Luke takes precedent. If he doesn't speak on something, then I have to compare Matthew and Mark and where that fell and how they're saying it, and if there's any time markers. It was very tedious. Because what I'm doing is I'm relying on Luke, and then I'm going to take the other two to fill in the blanks, and then we'll have this complete picture. So I'd like for us to read his entire account, and then I'm going to show you how we arrive to epic number one because that is considered the cornerstone of this sign. And that dictates the rest of these epics. Why is epic one epic one? I'm going to show you, and then we're going to summarize what Luke had, and then we're going to summarize what we've learned and filling in the blanks with the other two. Make sense? So without further ado again, let's read Luke's account of this Olivet Discourse. Luke 21, I'll be reading from the NES, and we'll start in verse 1. And he, Jesus, he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow sitting uh, putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, 
As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They question him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It would lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute." But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. But when you see, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is the great Olivet Discourse given by our Lord. Before we walk through and me showing you the epics called out by Luke, a good way to understand the Olivet Discourse. Our Lord gave this discourse right around eighty thirty. And when he's speaking about his return, he is speaking from the present to the end. Here we are, almost 2,000 years removed, and his words still ring true today. Something at least maybe you might be able to relate to, at least for me, I remember when I would read the discourse, because in my mind I had some preconceived notions about this tribulation, the seven-year period, towards the end, and that somehow he's just speaking about the last seven years. That is not the case at all. Our Lord, as he utters these words, is from that point to the very end. If you get that, we're on solid ground. 
because that's precisely what he did. He covered millennia in his response, leading us to the very end. But let's go through Luke, and I'm going to call out the epics that we're using as the frame and the, pretty much the foundation of our entire discourse. And this is going to pretty much be the cornerstone of the chart that we're going to end up with at the end. Luke is a very, it's the foundational piece. But let's, let's go through this account, and I will call them out. Picking up again verse 1, he goes, And he looked up and, I, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, here's the first epic, see to it, that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. And right now, I'm, I'm labeling this number one. This is the first epic that he called out. And if you looked at our old chart, this was the first one, because I'm relying on Luke, but we'll see why that's going to get shifted. But stay with me. But I'm going to color these, and I'm going I mean, to highlight them and give them different colors so that you can see the different epics. Another thing about scripture and prophecy, you know, we read it as one sentence. That one sentence can be years or millennia in one verse. And I'm trying my best to group them the best I can with his, with his help so that we can glean on these treasures and truth concerning the end. But here's the first one. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. That's number two. Second epic, distinct from the first one. Next one. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Epic number three. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines. Epic number four. And he goes, and there will be great terrors and great signs from heaven. Here's where it's going to get a little confusing. I'm not going to give it number five yet because he talks about it later in verse 25. When we get to verse 25, I'm going to pull this in. But one thing I wanted to call out before us, when we get to verse 12, but before all these things, what was the first four that we have identified? Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Before all these things, places this as number one. And I'm, ca I'm calling that red. So this is actually epic number one. Because he said, before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. They asked him, what's the sign that these things are about to take place? These are going to happen. Oh, but before that happens, this is going to happen to you. That's the first epic or the first of it all. 
And then when you get to verse 16, it's still the same, but you will betrayed, be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is, this is directed to his disciples. That's why it's still red, and it's still number one. I do want to call out a note from this slide. Verses 12 through 19 is epic number one in red, meaning the epics in 8 through 11 move down a slot. Are you following me? Because verse 12, that was a time marker before all these things. This comes first, okay? Meaning when we get to verse 20, this is going to be epic number six because everything moved down one. That's why we're picking it up. This is number six. I'm going to summarize this in order when we get to the end of Luke, and then we're going to summarize where we left off. When we get to verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in, in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled same color, speaking about the same epic. Verse 23, still speaking to the same thing. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is still part of that sixth epic. That's why it's all the same color. When we get to verse 25, remember earlier in verse 11, he said, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. That's a continuation of verse 25. There will be signs and sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 11 is part of verse 25, because there will be terrors and great signs in heaven, and 25 gives us more descriptive term, more detail concerning that. So this is epic number seven. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. That's epic number eight. But when these things, that's epics one through eight, begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So now let me put this together for us. Luke has eight epics. And here's the sequence of them. Remember the first one. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Upon Peter's confession, they asked them, who do you say that I am? And he goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, blessed are you, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, uh, my Father who is in heaven. And, and surely I say to you, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The apostles is the foundation of the church. And that's why I titled this the church tribulation and the apostles first. They were led to slaughter first, but it's not just limited to the apostles. But that's how we got this first epic, this first sequence. 
the church tribulation. This is the cornerstone of the sign. He's saying what things must take place for the destruction of the temple, his coming, and the end of the age. First things first, the church needs to go through tribulation, beginning with you, my beloved disciples. Remember when our Lord rose and he was speaking with, uh, when he restored Peter? Remember, Peter denied him three times, and then three times he asked him, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And he told you, he goes, Peter, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go, and you're going to die. You get to make it up for me, Peter. Don't worry. And then Peter goes, hey, what about John? What about him? He's like, don't worry about him. But you, Peter, you will redeem yourself. And legend tells us he sure did through crucifixion, and legend tells us upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord did. But the church tribulation, this is the cornerstone and what kicks off this prophetic clock. When we get to the second epic, he said, see to it that you're not misled for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is near. And I call this false Christs and false messiahs. Third epic, he says, when you hear of Wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. Who's you? The disciples. Who are they? Jews or Israelis. That's why I call this Israeli wars. Specific. When you hear of wars and disturbances, I'm not talking about the United States. When you, Peter, the people of Israel, among the Israelites, hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. That's why I call this Israeli wars. I want to be very intentional. Fourth epic, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now it's outside of Israel now, right? I call that Gentile wars. Fifth, there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines. Call that worldwide calamities. Straightforward. Sixth epic, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. The prophecy of our Lord tells us that in the last days, before Israel's destruction, they will be surrounded by armies. And he's saying, when you see that, then recognize that her desolation is near. And I'm calling that Jerusalem's final tribulation. Then he says, there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. There will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations. This is global tribulation now. There's going to be terrors and great signs from heaven, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars, and on the earth there will be dismay among the nations. This is global now. This is epic number seven that Luke gave us. And last but not least, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And I gave this title, Jesus Coming on the Cloud. And this is the eighth epic from Luke's account. I'm telling you, this frames the discourse in sequential order. And the other two accounts, I'm trying my best to fill in the blanks. But there it is. I even color-coded it for us. It wasn't fun. And I got cross-eyed. A lot, and I prayed a lot. (laughs) With that out of the way now, are you ready to summarize what we've covered last week? 
So we'll summarize what we've covered last week, and then we're going to walk through the rest. And I want to make a disclaimer. Luke doesn't give us it all. He gives us eight. There's more than eight. So any events not mentioned in Luke's, that's subject to change on this chart. Because if Luke doesn't talk about it, I'm trying my best to group them and seeing, okay, where does it fall best? And as you see, as we'll see when we go through this chart, there was even some more moving around. And when I show you the final chart with the indexing at the end, when I took all of the verse numbers and put them side by side, you'll see how I try to make sense of this madness. So with that, here was the first epic that we covered last week. And as you'll see, I try to color code them the same to see that these groupings are similar. And this was Epic 1, Church Tribulation. And here's a short description. And this shouldn't really be news to us. The Church Tribulation began with the persecution of the apostles. Amen? They were flogged and killed for preaching the gospel. Other believers followed suit. After the apostles were killed that first century, a lot of Christians were killed, were persecuted and killed under Roman persecution. And we've covered this under Nero. And then even from there, when you follow church history from its existence, from that first century forward, millions, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Christians have been killed these past 2,000 years or so. The apostles went first, and there's going to be other believers in different epochs of time that will have the same outcome. We've learned this in our study, in our look into the letters to the seven churches, when we're introduced by a, name, by a man named Antipas, his faithful servant. And le legend and history tells us that he was killed on a bull altar, presumably to Baal. Thank you. We learned about Polycarp in one of our past studies and his stories. Antipas and Polycarp were discipled by John. And those were two examples of first century believers that were martyred and killed for their faith. Part of the church tribulation. So with that, this is really epic one. The persecution of Christians. Folks, this began AD 30. First Christ, then the disciples, and then countless others after them. This is an epic of time that covers AD 30 until he comes. We got to get this. The church has been in tribulation from the time of the apostles. Look at what John said in the very first chapter of Revelation, verse 9, he goes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Christ Jesus. This epic of the church tribulation began AD 30 and will take us to the end. And these are the last days. When the apostles were killed, our Lord said at that time, when he said in Mar uh, Matthew 24, verse 9, then after being flogged, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. So, the apostles from our Lord's lips is telling them 
that they're going to be betrayed by their own people, even family. And in fact, when there was the persecution of the apostles, our Lord says, many will fall away. So based on this, when the apostles were under fierce persecution for preaching the gospel and were being arrested and killed, other folks who were considering Christianity or at least held it for a point, so when, saw when they were getting arrested and killed for believing in Christ, they fell away and wanted nothing to do with Christianity. The apostles were betrayed by their own people and family, and when they were persecuted, many renounced their faith. Remember the story of Polycarp? He was an aged man at that time, about 80, and he was given the opportunity to renounce his faith, and he would not. And legend tells us he ended up being burned on a stake where they attempted to burn him, they couldn't, and then they ended up just killing him. And our Lord says, the one who endures to the end. Now here, it first starts with the apostles. You're going to be killed for my name's sake. You're going to be hated. You're going to be turned into authorities by even your family. But he goes, but by your endurance, you will gain your lives. He's saying, just endure it to the end. And that doesn't just stop with them. So for the church, for believers that followed the apostles, if you're in a time where you were the object of persecution and even death and beheading for believing in Christ, His words also ring true for us. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That's a call for endurance. For all Christians in all time facing severe opposition and threat for their faith. So this first epic takes us from there to the end. The second epic, false Christs and false apostles. You'll see the grouping there in green. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So following apostolic persecution, many false Christs and false prophets will arrive on the scene in Jerusalem and that part of the world and make bold claims. Okay, so after you go through all this, oh, by the way, there's going to be false Christs and false prophets, which was a thorn in Paul's flesh. And our Lord told us there will be false Christs and false prophets among you. Folks, this is wolves in sheep's clothing. When did that begin? Children, it is the last hour, just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. For from this we know that it is the last hour, our beloved John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And our Lord said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. But this epic started that first century. And it also takes us to the end of the age. There's going to be false Christs and false prophets arriving on the scene on that part of the world beginning that first century, and it'll carry us into the very end. These are long epics, can't you see? Third epic, Israeli wars. Beginning with the Roman, the Jewish-Roman war, History books tells us lasted from around 66 to 73 AD. And of course, in the middle of that 
was the destruction of the temple. So beginning with that Jewish and Roman war, through their entire existence, Israel will be the subject and rumors of wars amidst much turmoil and chaos. As long as Israel is recognized as a state or a nation, you got a target on your back. Our Lord is saying, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end. And this is even more relevant in today. What we can learn or be encouraged from our Lord, as devastating as that is, He goes, these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. So if you're to look at when did this epic of season start? Well, that's 67 AD at the Jewish-Roman War. And that takes us to the end of the age, even now. Our Lord's saying, Israel, you've got a target on your back. You'll always have a target on your back. And this is the way it is. And we know why, for those of us who are in the Word, is because they were given a spirit of stupor. They reject Christ as Messiah. Their forefathers had him killed, and they cried for our Lord's blood to be upon them and their children. And that's what's happening even now. So these must happen first as discipline and punishment for the rebellion and killing of their promised Messiah. And he, our Lord said, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you as a nation say that, and as a people, you won't see me again but you will have this constant target on your back. Isn't our Lord's words profound? I haven't been talking about the labor stages here, but at this point, we are, the first three epics are still part of the beginning of the pangs, and there's five of them. So we would say, if we were to stick with the labor analogy, the woman is probably about, because you need to be 10 centimeters full to be ready to push, dilated, you're still about zero to three centimeters, still fairly mild. So what's going on now is still fairly mild. But the woman's in labor right now, figuratively speaking. And here you will see epic four. And from the other list, I had it under sign five. But going through this whole exercise again and then coming up with the index that I have at the very end, this is epic number four. Gentile wars. Gentile nations will wage war against other Gentile nations. But this, this epic, number four, is Gentile wars. And this epic began at least with the Roman Parthian wars. Remember, I'm taking this from the time our Lord uttered these words, so that AD 30. And history tells us that they, the Rome, they were still in this war with the Parthenians. And that even went back from 53 B.C., but it went all the way until 217 A.D. So we have a couple of hundred of years that Rome was even under war. And he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, you might not have thought of this, but did you know that by implication, remember, Rome at that time was the superpower. No one can really threaten their dominance, their sovereignty, and they've been around longest, or at least one of the longest reigns of the world superpower in all of history. But 
You might not have considered this. When our Lord said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, by implication, Rome will fall. And why that is, when we look at Daniel, when we get to the fourth and final beast kingdom made up of ten kings, that that superpower is going to trump all superpowers before its time. It's going to be the greatest superpower that this world has ever seen. That means Rome. Sometime you're going to have to go down. And they did. So you can even see that Jesus even predicted the fall of the Roman Empire. Because nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And that's still relevant even in our recent history and even in our world today. World War I, World War II, and in our day, in our time right now, the Russia-Ukraine war and Hamas and Israel. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, even from Rome forward. So this epic, number four, is from the first century with Rome to the end of the age when Daniel's vision comes to pass in that fourth great beast. As far as the labor stage, we're still in the beginning, still fairly mild. We're at the, the beginning of birth pangs. We're in that early part of stage one. Epic five, worldwide calamities. There's going to be a time of great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines. When did this begin? I'm going to use scripture. Acts eleven twenty eight. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. That first century, there was a great famine. So we know that this epic or this season started even the first century also. But it also says, but also in our recent history and even in our world today, if you look back, we've all heard of the probably the bubonic plague, HIV, AIDS, cancer. And when Luke mentions plagues, pestilences, that's a contagious disease. We're all familiar with COVID. So if someone says, by implication, is COVID in the Bible? Well, in this epic, number five, as part of the worldwide calamities that began that first century and has continued to this day, our Lord says there are going to be great earthquakes. There's going to be, in various places, plagues and famines. And if you were to Google, what is the greatest earthquake of all time? What comes up is the 1960 Great Chilean Earthquake, registered 9.5 on the Richter scale. Chile. But this epic, you'll notice on the bottom, this is from the first century. Look, even Acts 11, that first century, and it'll continue. It's kind of like the world is going as it should. When we get to the sixth epic, Judaism in full effect in an evil world. Because in Matthew 24, verse 12, he gives us this piece of the puzzle that wasn't part of the, any other groupings. And our Lord said there, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when I looked at all of the New Testament and the uses of lawlessness and lawless or even lawless deeds, there is a correlation with dead works. And then also it can speak about 
just being evil and sinful and having and doing sinful deeds, the deeds of the flesh. But because of those two synergies, I'm putting them together and I'm calling this Judaism, dead works will be in full effect because lawlessness is increased. You can even say the dead works are going to increase. And most people's love will grow cold so the world around them, including them, will be dark and evil. So here's a description of this epic. Israel will reinstitute temple worship, sacrifices, and other dead works. And when that happens, they're going to repeat history. They're going to rely on what their forefathers did at the time of Christ. Because when Christ came, he did not fit into their religion and doctrine and was invited in. So if you'll notice here, this epic is towards the end. The first five epics started that first century to the end. This one, because lawlessness is increased, I guess you can say, yeah, that's increased since the first century, but its fulfillment, or when it comes to fruition, Judaism will be in full effect. And the world will be evil too, just like in the days of Noah. And you'll notice here now on the labor stage, you see I put that arrow going up. When we see dead works being performed in Israel, in Jerusalem, we are now on the mid-stage of that first stage. The contractions are no longer mild. It is building up now. When we get to this part, you're probably about five centimeters dilated. So you're about halfway through delivery. Or are you ready to deliver the baby? Once we see dead works, live and well in the Middle East, the woman is halfway through her contractions. So for this particular epic, Epic 7, I call this Acts Relived. And I'm much, some of you might wonder, you know, when our Lord says, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to lead so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, behold, I have told you in advance. Someone may ask, well, why didn't I just group that with the other epic? Why didn't I just group this with the false, remember the wolves in sheep clothing? Why didn't I just put this as part of that? Because there was a marker here in verse 21. And then, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ. That and then, and not only that, will show. This is up a notch now. Not only are false Christs and false apostles arriving on the scene, even that first century to the end, but there's going to come from even then false Christs and false apostles performing signs and wonders. And that's why I have this separated out and calling this Acts Relived. Miracles and healings. And I can't help but even look at the church of Jesus Christ and a lot of the false teachings that are out there right now, these false miracles of healing, these teachers of Christ, they're false Christs, or representing a false Christ, you could even say. But for this particular one, as far as when, this, when was this epic, so when I try to look at history and saying, okay, who has arrived on the scene and was purported as performing signs and wonders. You know who came up? Exactly. The prophet Muhammad. Sixth century. 
he was purported to have arrived on the scene, was given, was visited by an angel, Gabriel, wrote the Quran, and then their tradition says that he performed miracles. And one of them was the splitting of the moon. Yeah, bizarre. And even their writings call it magic. Probably an optical illusion. Remember, even now that I'm reminded, there's a scripture where it talks about towards the end that our Lord, um, he will even let them believe the lie because they would refuse to believe the truth. Could be very similar. So that's why I placed this as far as when was this epic? That's sixth century when Muhammad arrived on the scene. You can say that that epic, our Lord told us, false Christ and false prophets will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's why I put Muhammad as an example of this. And when our Lord was here, or on, on earth, but in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, when he was challenged by his claims as to who he is, he goes, you're the, if you are the Christ, don't keep us in suspense. If you are the Christ, tell us. And they wanted a sign. Show us that you are the Christ. And he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. So when I'm looking at this prophecy, I can't help but be drawn to say, that's going to be how Israel is led to apostasy. Is someone is going to arrive on the scene, claim to be Jesus, or claim to be Christ, their Christ, their promised Messiah, Ask them, ask him to perform a sign to show us that you are who you say you are and that person will and Israel will believe. And that's why I call this Acts Relive, but this will lead to Israel's apostasy. Remember, Paul says the apostasy must come first. Then the man of lawlessness is revealed after that. So if a false Christ appears on the scene, performs a sign and wonder, and Israel goes after him. That's not the man of lawlessness. That is not anti-God. He's going to come after that. The apostasy comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. So this epic covers at least the sixth century. That's going to take us to the end of the age, and that's going to culminate in Israel's apostasy. And as far as the labor Stage, we're still in that mid-stage, 1B, medium intensity, but (laughs) we're halfway there. When we get to this eighth epic, Jerusalem's final tribulation, Israel will retreat and lose their final war to Gentile nations. And when that time comes, most of them will either be killed or taken captivity. As far as this goes, when is this epic? When is this season? Well, presumably there needs to be a third temple first so that they can do their dead works. And in order for them to have this final tribulation, this places this season at the end. And then, as part of this epic, the abomination of desolation is erected in the holy place. So here I try to take a a picture here of what the temple may look like, and that's the holy place right there where I'm pointing at, and something is going to be erected there that the Scripture calls the abomination of desolation. Okay, remember, when there's dead works, 
I said, okay, the contract, we're on the next stage of labor or the next, uh, we're in the midpoint when we start to see dead works going on there, the woman's halfway in labor. When we see this, Jerusalem, now they're, they've lost their final war. They've gone through their final tribulation. And then in the temple, there was something erected that the scripture calls the abomination of desolation. We're no longer at the midpoint of the contractions. We are now at the latter part. Instead of now five centimeters dilated, we're probably here around seven to ten centimeters dilated. And this is epic, our Lord says. These are the days of vengeance and what Daniel also calls the final period of the indignation. So once we see dead works happening, woman's halfway there, and then when we see Israel ravaged, the woman is close to full dilated. So this epic is towards specifically to the end. You still with me? This ninth epic, and this is where we're going (laughs) to finally get through our review, the great global tribulation. When we get to this epic, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. There's going to be the roaring of the seas, this gravitational pull because the heavens got shaken. It throws even the gravitational pull of our waves. And that's going to cause dismay among the nations. Everyone on the earth at that time are going to be scared out of their mind on what's going on. And not only that, stars, aster, asteroids will start falling on the earth. Let me ask this question. Has this happened yet? No. Which means that this epic is towards the end of the age. And when that happens, as far as the woman giving birth, she's almost fully dilated. This is happening. Look what's going on. The baby's about to be born really soon. With that, are we ready to pick up now on the remaining epics? And we'll need to pause right here. However, we will finish up our look at the timeline of prophetic events as described in the Great Olivet Discourse next time. If you haven't already, we encourage you to download the PDF slide deck for these studies to see the detailed charts and images that Pastor Alex uses during his lessons. These are available on our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or attached to this message on Sermon Audio. And if you're enjoying this study, we'd like to invite you to tune into our studies live on Friday nights through our website, again, truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.